Hello, everyone. I'm Blake Farha. And I'm Jasmine. And this is See You in Sleep County, a podcast where we tell bedtime stories written for adults. And these stories are so very special because they're taken from the journals of the one and only Jazz Meyer and crafted to be soft, sweet, whimsical tales to help whisk you away into a night of sweet slumber. So they're sweet, they're sensual, and they're just for you. See You in Sleep County is a part of the Bear Radio Network. Bear Radio is a podcasting platform based out of Berlin. And for all of you podcast lovers out there, you can find podcasts on a range of subjects, from questions of race and gender, geopolitics, to silly improv podcasts made just so you can laugh. So if you're interested, no matter what your tastes in podcasts are, you can check them all out at bearradio.org. And thanks very much to Bear Radio for everything they do for the podcasting community here in Berlin and abroad. Jazz, I've been feeling a bit funkified lately. I'll be honest, I've been feeling a little bit weird, a little bit... um, a little bit, uh, let's say under the weather, but in an emotional way. Under the weather, emotionally speaking. Mm-hmm. And I was, something I was wondering, because you're somebody who does so much and creates so much, uh, I was wondering, what motivates you? What, what gets you moving when you're feeling like maybe you're less than enthused about what, uh, what you have to do? Ooh, that's a very good question. I like that. Um, I think more and more recently I've been trying to tune in with what self-care is. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the term self-care kind of, in some ways, at least for me, it's it's almost been separated from the notion of care itself. Like when I think about self-care, it's like take a bubble bath or I don't know, watch a movie. But like self-care is obviously much deeper and much broader than that. Um, So I've been trying to look at it like how would I take care of somebody else? Like what would I do for somebody I love? Um, And sometimes that's uncomfortable you know sometimes it's sort of pushing myself to exercise for example because I know it's good for my body and the endorphins will you know flood my brain and I'll I'll end up feeling better kind of as a cheat you know it's like a shortcut to feeling better Um, or sometimes it is yeah like relaxing or reading a book or sometimes it's calling a friend sometimes it's letting myself cry, you know, letting myself feel whatever mm-hmm. I'm feeling. But the basis of it is this sense of care, um, of empathy, like having empathy for myself as a human, as a complex creature full of emotions and thoughts and stories, you know, um, in mm-hmm. the same way I hope I would be able to do for a child, for example, you know, not judging myself for where I'm at, but just accepting and giving space and yeah, trying to find something that will help. And how does this uh, sort of self-care translate to motivation to do the things that, you know, you need to do or want to do that you maybe don't have right now? I guess, like, when I look at myself as, you know, somebody who needs empathy and care and perhaps um, encouragement, I recognize that the things that maybe I don't want to do, if they're good for me, like if they're, you know, contributing to my well-being, to my mental health, then it's an act of care to do them. Um, this is a bit different, I guess, depending on whether it's something I want to do or something I feel like I have to do. But then maybe this is a good opportunity to question, you know, what are the things I think I have to do? And if they're not serving me, if they're not good for my well-being, then why am I doing them? So kind of the notion of like the word should, I've kind of tried to delete from my vocabulary because if I'm doing something because I think I should do it, is it really serving me in any way? And if it's not, then maybe there's something better that I could replace it with or somewhere else I could direct that energy. 
Uh, this is something that's been a very powerful alteration to my daily vocabulary. I also try never to use the word should. Every time I hear myself about to use the phrase, I should do something, then I stop and I ask myself, well, what is a replacement for the word should? And you find yourself asking suddenly then, is it, well, I, I, I want to do something, I need to do something, I would like to do something. And when I remove that word should, uh, I find that the guilt seeps away. And I no longer have this feeling of, well, I should be doing a workout, but I don't really want to. So I'm not going to. And then I think, okay, well, then what's the replacement for that? I want to work out. And then I ask myself, is that true? And if the answer is yes, then I'm like, okay, well, then I'll work out. And if the answer is no, then I go, okay, well, I'm going to do something else. Then why would I work out if I don't want to right now? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But either way, I feel like either of those solutions is better than the third option of going, I should be working out, but I'm not going to, and I'm going to sit here feeling bad about it instead. Mm. Or I'm going to do it, and I'm going to hate doing it every second of it. <laughs> yeah, there are better ways, uh, yes. definitely. I suppose you've motivated yourself at some point to write us a, a brand new story for the week. I have. Honestly, this week it's been very, very tricky to, to finish these stories. Um, yeah, this week's story is absolutely a labor of love. Um, <laughs> um, so tonight's story is called Koi Cop in the Basement, uh, which I think is one of my favorite titles so far. Koi Carp in the Basement. Mm-hmm. Like the fish? Yeah. All right, you've got me hook, line, and sinker. Excellent. Reel me in now, tell me more. <laughs> so tonight's story transports us to Bangkok in Thailand, and it tells Ooh. the story of exploring an abandoned shopping center, uh, the basement of which has been flooded and is now inhabited by hundreds upon hundreds of koi cop. It's a very, very special place. I cannot wait to read this story. This sounds very exciting. <laughs> Before I hand it over to you, Blake, I'm just going to mention again that there's always the opportunity to support us in creating this podcast uh, through our Patreon account. And so for as little as two euros, you can get a shout out on our podcast and in our social media accounts to thank you for supporting this little podcast. For five euro a month, you'll get a PDF download of all the bedtime stories for the month so that you can pick up reading where you last dozed off. And for 15 euros a month, you can join us in our Sleep County Town Hall, which is an AMA and a live reading of an extra episode of See You in Sleep County. So if you'd like to become a part of Sleep County, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash see you in Sleep County. And if you'd like to support us in a different way, we always love to hear from our listeners. It really inspires us and motivates us to hear what this podcast means to you, what you thought of the stories, what you thought of the silly chats that we have in the beginning, uh, anything you'd like to share with us, really. So if you'd like to get in touch with us and say hello, it would really make our day. And you can get in touch with us on Instagram at Blake Farha or at liberation.and.love. So with that, I'll hand it over to you, Blake, to read tonight's story, Koi Cop in the Basement. And to all of you listening at home, hope you enjoy it. I hope you sleep well, and I'll see you in Sleep County. Thank you very much, Jazz. As we prepare for tonight's story, gently close your eyes and snuggle into bed. Allow yourself to find the position that feels just right. And when you've found that perfect spot nestled among the covers, take a nice, slow, deep breath 
letting the worries of the day drift away as you exhale. Imagine the air falling into your belly and chest as you breathe in effortlessly. And as you breathe out, imagine the breath falling out of you again. Take a moment to feel the bed beneath you, gently supporting your body. Release any tension you might be feeling, starting with the muscles in your face. One by one, allow them to go slack. Let the muscles in your arms, shoulders, and chest relax. Move your attention to your belly, your lower back, and let them sink into the mattress. Release any tightness in your thighs, your knees, your calves, and your feet. And enjoy for a moment the feeling of total relaxation, your body totally at ease. And now, for tonight's story. Koi Carp in the Basement Written by Jazz Meyer The streets of Bangkok were hot and crowded, and the delicious smells of the nearby restaurants wafted over us as we walked along the partially shaded footpath seeking a cooler alternative. The restaurants were lively, a square of them bustling with locals and tourists alike, and I longed to partake of the delicacies that were calling to me. I hesitated for a moment, unsure if I should mention this longing to my companions, but they were already striding on ahead, and I quickened my pace a little to catch up, wary of being left behind in this unfamiliar metropolis. The delicacies would have to wait. At the head of our trio was Ian, striding forth confidently through the city he now called home. Though he hailed from England, and was a friend with whom I'd had encounters in various parts of the globe. Thailand was simply the next on a list of odd meetings that included Australia and France, and years in the future, Germany. Behind him, Adrian followed with that same purposeful gait, camera bag hoisted upon his back to capture what was to come. My own camera bag hung heavy on my shoulders, giving a slight tug with every step. As we rounded a corner, I saw what we had come for. The face of the abandoned New World Mall, plastered now with notices, splashed with graffiti, its shuttered doorways closed forever. But this was not the entrance we would use, and we kept walking, following Ian as he ducked into a winding and low-ceilinged tunnel. The entrance was almost invisible against the bustling restaurants and shops that lined the outside of the edifice, and as we disappeared into the doorway, I felt a sense of adventure brewing. Here, in the depths of the building, street vendors lined the narrow path with all manner of wares, 
brightly colored clothing, exotic fruits, toys, games, tools, all littering my vision. The vendors themselves giving us knowing looks as we passed them by. A few twists and turns later, we emerged before what looked like a dilapidated street stall. Behind it, partially blocked by a rickety construction fence, I saw the decaying mall looming, steel framed, exposed. As I stepped closer, I saw hastily attached to the fence a hand-scrawled sign. Fish food. Ten bot. I smiled. This was what we had come for. As we stepped behind the fence, we found ourselves standing on the edge of a vast expanse of water. The entire depression of the floor flooded and alive with movement. Our presence had been noticed by the hundreds of koi carp that inhabited this abandoned space, their gaping mouths eager for the food that they had come to expect from tourists such as us. They swarmed to the concrete ledge we were standing on, a mass of bright red, inky black, gleaming silver, soft beige. I had never seen anything quite like it, such a vivid overthrowing of man's attempt to dominate nature. Through the rusted steel beams and crumbling concrete, I could see glimpses of powder blue sky, daylight filtering through, cool and azure, glinting off the makeshift lake. Tales of this mall had trickled down to us via Ian, the singular anomaly of its existence, somehow explained as a simple, almost logical, series of events. When the mall had been left to its own devices and the ceiling caved in, monsoon rains had flooded the ground floor and mosquitoes had quickly taken over. Locals, in a bid to control them, introduced a few koi, and the rest, as they say, is history. I loved this tale, loved the autonomous nature of whichever local had decided to take things into their own hands. I relished the thought of finding a natural solution to a man-made problem, that life had thrived where it was least expected. At our feet, the fish thrashed occasionally, imploring us to feed them but now our minds were focused on finding a way in. At this level, the floor was entirely flooded, and we knew we had only one option. To go up. Forgoing the fish food, we turned our attention to the rusty and bent reinforcing bar sticking out of the crumbling concrete wall behind us, our minds working to piece together a path from potential foot and handholds that would lead us to the second level. One by one, we gracelessly hoisted ourselves up, flakes of rust coming off in our hands, and arrived on an even rustier steel beam that stretched across a few meters of the murky water below. I was fond of heights, enjoying the feeling of total faith, knowing that my body was keeping me up there, 
but the balancing act that was required of me here, without anything for my hands to grasp, always made me a bit nervous, brought that rising adrenaline into my chest, heart pumping loud and fast. There was the rush of nervous excitement, the inimitable call of the void that bid me to succumb and drew me down, tempting me with the offer to just fall. Once more, though, I resisted the call and instead crawled my way over the water with the others. The rusty beam holding strong, my survival instinct doing the same. Below, the water rippled with the dispersion of koi carp, their hopes for food dashed as their potential benefactors disappeared into the sky. Up here on the second story, the concrete floor was comparatively dry, just a few puddles here and there from the last rains. The mall stretched around us, vast and empty, a semicircle of floor surrounding an enormous central atrium. I approached the open ledge, any semblance of barrier long since gone, and peered down to the pond below. A bright circle of sky danced on the water, and, looking up, I saw the entire roof was gone. Only the shining azure of the heavens greeting me where steel and concrete once were. The ragged edges of the remaining structure cut sharp silhouettes against the sky. In the center of the remaining mall, an elevator tower, once bright and shining, now sullied and vaguely pink, rose from the depths of the water and served as the focal point of the entire atrium. Four darkened windows looked out gloomily from the tower, their sills coated in a thin layer of moss, the lowest window sprouting bright green ferns where it met the water's surface. On either side of the tower, three levels of escalators leaned down from each floor to the one below. The entire symmetrical image, giving the effect of a giant weeping willow, reaching down to an olive green lake. Like the window, the bottom floor escalators were semi-submerged, and greenery sprang up at their bases, creating tiny habitats in which the fish foraged and swam. The entire building was truly dilapidated, succumbing to entropy with each passing day. Nature was reclaiming it, like so many of man's creations, reminding me of the eventual dissolution of all things. It had been here for just a moment, a flash in the history of the universe, minuscule, insignificant, soon to be swallowed by time. The proof of this was all around. The once gleaming escalators were now still and rusted, each step now housing a variegated carpet of moss bright and forest greens inhabiting their cracks and creases. It was not only nature that had reclaimed this space. Many of the bare walls had been repurposed as canvases for the street artists that called Bangkok home. 
enormous murals looked out onto the atrium, bright colors casting a strong contrast to the murky grays, browns, and greens of the rest of the building. Only the fish matched the vivid color of the graffiti, their likeness depicted in many of the pieces. On one wall, an enormous yellow goldfish peered out serenely with one huge eye, a thin string of blue bubbles emanating from its mouth and floating up toward the sky. Another artist had plastered part of the space with a friendly blue cyclops in a red cap, two mosquitoes hovering around him. The cyclops was gazing at the ground, both hands poised as if about to grab something. Whether intentional or not, the floor below him was covered in a glassy layer of water, serving as a mirror that caused him to gaze down upon his own reflection. Poised, as if in surprise at the single eye he saw staring back. Years later, these paintings would visit me in my dreams, their vivid colors coming to life, an aquatic wonderland floating through my mind as I slept peacefully and, upon waking, was doused in a sweet warm wave of nostalgia and fondness. For now, though, I gave one last glimpse at the murals before turning to climb the fire escape stairs, passing through the crumbling building up into each floor. I traversed each level, perusing the other paintings and tags that were scattered throughout, peering around corners, gazing over the edge of each concrete slab and into the pond below. Adrian and Ian did likewise, our paths sometimes converging to comment on some new piece of graffiti or peer down at the fish. Other times, we wandered aimlessly, alone. I would hear, through the vastness of the space, the concrete echo of their footsteps or the tell-tale click of a camera shutter. My own camera I carried in hand, snapping wide-angle photographs of these fascinating surrounds, attempting to capture the absurdity of the space, the juxtaposition inherent in so much of it, and hardly doing it justice. We didn't dare climb the rickety escalators that hovered precariously over the water, their railings rusted and bent their glass sides all but destroyed. I ventured only a few steps to brush my hands upon the moss that grew there, enjoying the strange contrast between the gentle power of nature and the inevitable decay of capitalism. From there I could see down into the pool below, a murky expanse punctuated by tiny brushes of color the fish moving lazily now beneath the surface. Occasionally, the water would break to reveal a flick of a tail or the gulp of a mouth grasping for some tasty morsel floating over or upon the surface. I was reminded of some strange modernized version of a traditional Japanese painting. Something by Kinuyoshi, perhaps, 
envisioning myself as a cat peering eagerly down into a pool of dancing koi just out of reach. Eventually, we found our way to what was left of the rooftop, seeing the sky reflected once again in the enormous puddles that covered its surface. The afternoon sun glinted diffusely from within a hazy sky. All of Bangkok stretched out around us, the horizon climbing up and down with the squat houses and looming apartment blocks that defined it. To the east, the gleaming golden spire of a Buddhist temple rose magnificently from the hues of gray and brown that surrounded it. Its point reflected in the glassy water on the New World Mall roof. To the west, the Chao Praya River was just barely visible, edging its way slowly through the city of Bangkok and away toward the Gulf of Thailand. With one last look at the view that surrounded us, we ducked back into the cool depths of the building, back past the fish-inspired artwork, past the mossy escalator steps, past the aqueous floor. Before descending to the pond below, Adrian took one last look around the second floor for an alternative escape, saving us from the precarious climb across that rusted beam we had acquainted ourselves with on the way in. There, in one inconspicuous corner of the building, the bright blue light of the day filtered in through a haze of green, and we were pleased to find a banyan fig winding its way up to a hole in the wall that must once have been a window. Grasping the thick, sturdy branches in my hand, I followed the others, sometimes swinging, sometimes climbing, sometimes sliding my way down. The roots that snaked down from the fig's branches served as ladders, and we made our departure easily, bidding farewell to the fish that we would not see again. Back in the streets of the city, the world bustling around us, the mall already seemed like a hazy vision, and what lay ahead was soon to overpower what lay behind, but for in my dreams. With one look back over my shoulder, I strode forward with Ian and Adrian, in search of those delicacies that had called to me before and were calling again now. And we went to meet whatever would come next, the images of red and gold koi carp still dancing in my mind. That was Koi Carp in the Basement written by the one and only Jazz Meyer. If you're still awake, I hope you're feeling relaxed and ready to rest. If you're not quite tired enough to sleep, you can always listen to another episode of See You in Sleep County, and hopefully by the end of the next episode, you'll already be in the land of sweet slumber. As always, if you'd like to become part of Sleep County, you can donate to our Patreon page, where we give lots of lovely benefits to our patrons. And if you'd like to get in touch, we would be so happy to hear from you. You can contact me on Instagram at, at @blakefarha, and you can contact Jazz at, at @liberation.and.love. 
I want to thank you once again so much for joining us for another beautiful tale. There will be so many more to come, and we look forward to sharing them all with you. I'm Blake Farha, and I want to wish you a good night, sweet dreams, and I'll see you in Sleep County. <laughs>